At this time, we'll turn our attention to the reading and the preaching of God's word. We'll now hear the scripture reading read by Jay. Our reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you look behind me, you'll notice that I'm not downstairs in the sanctuary um, for a variety of reasons that I won't go into. Um, I find myself having to pre-record this sermon. This is Friday for me. And that's going to make it a little tricky for us to do Q&A this morning. I realize that, so uh, apologies. We're going to return to that next week. This morning, we're returning to the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to look at a, a very famous miracle that Jesus performed. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to see Jesus miraculously feed a crowd, a huge crowd of people, with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, even though this uh, gospel, the story, is found in each of the four gospels, or the first four books of the New Testament, uh, John is the only one to give us the explanation or the meaning behind this particular miracle. And when we turn to John chapter 6, Jesus tells us that this bread that he miraculously provides to the crowd is a symbol. It's a sign pointing somewhere. Pointing where? To me, Jesus said. He says, I am the bread of life that came into this world. And whoever eats this bread, in other words, whoever believes in me, will have eternal life, will never die 
have eternal life, and not just never-ending life, but life that goes beyond really just surviving, uh, life that goes um, beyond just our physical existence, uh, life to the full, life as it was always meant to be, life uh, as God designed it to be. Now, as we walk through the story this morning, uh, I hope that two truths are going to emerge for us. And the first is this. We are hungry. We are really, really hungry. So the disciples have just returned from an intense time of ministry, so intense that they, they barely had any time to eat or rest. Uh, when they return to Jesus, they're excited, and they tell Jesus everything about what they had done and taught. But they're tired. They're bone-tired. And Jesus knows this. And so he says to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And so they hop in a boat, which is wonderful. A relief because they don't want to walk anywhere right now. They hop into the boat, they stretch out their legs, they get comfortable, and they set sail along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, as they're sailing, they notice the crowd, a growing crowd. And, and the longer they sail, the larger the crowd gets. People pile out of towns and villages, out of businesses and homes. And by the time the disciples reach Bethsaida, which is their destination, waiting for them on the shores is a crowd 5,000 strong. And that's just the men. When you add to that number the women and the children, we're looking at a crowd anywhere between 10 and 20,000 strong. And that's a little frustrating. Well, for the disciples, it's frustrating because they're tired They're in desperate need of rest. And you know what that's like. You know what it is to be gassed, to be, you know, at the end of yourself. The tank is empty. And and, and the only thing keeping you going is just the knowledge that you're going to get a break. But then the phone rings, the text, the email comes in, the baby wakes up, and, and any hope of rest goes out the window. I mean, who wouldn't be frustrated? Who wouldn't be a little cranky? Well, Jesus. He's not frustrated. He's not cranky. He doesn't tell the men to keep sailing along the, uh, the sea. No. He looks at the crowd, and he sees sheep. Sheep without a shepherd. And it breaks his heart. He's filled with compassion. And the first thing that Jesus does is this. He begins to teach them. He begins to tell them all about God's great love for them and what it means to have a relationship with him and what it means to live in that relationship. He begins to teach them, and he continues to teach them. He teaches them late into the day, and that's a problem. Well, for the disciples, it's a problem because it's a desolate area. There are no restaurants. There's nowhere to get a bite, and the people are hungry. Everybody's hungry. The kids are hungry. You know what it's like when a kid gets hungry? I'm imagining there are meltdowns all over the place. 
everybody is hungry. And, and who likes to be hungry? I don't, do you? Who likes to be hungry? It does raise the question, why do we even have to get hungry? Why? Why did God make us in such a way that we have to depend on food? Why do we have this capacity for hunger? He didn't have to, you know. He could have made us like rocks with no need for outside help. He could have made us self-sustaining with all the internal resources to keep us going, but he didn't. He, he made us to depend on things outside of us. Why? Well, it could it be, could it be that he wants us to know that not only do our bodies need to depend on things outside of themselves, so do our souls. I mean, if we can get physically hungry, does it not stand to reason? Isn't it conceivable that our souls might also get spiritually hungry? <clears throat> could it be um, that our physical hunger is in some ways uh, a metaphor to show us our deeper hunger, our, our, our spiritual hunger, and, and that nothing in this world can satisfy that hunger but God? Think about it. Why is it, why is it that even when we're full, we still want to eat? I mean, maybe it's just me, but I have eaten enormous meals and then minutes later found my head in the fridge. Now, why is that? You say, I've got a problem. Fine. But we all have a problem. I mean, why is it that people who have it all just throw it away by embezzling or cheating on their partners? What's going on there? What's going on there? C.S. Lewis said that if I find in myself a desire for something that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Do, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we're hungry, and, and nothing in this world can get at that hunger. Uh, actor, comedian Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of and find that it's not the answer. We're hungry. We're hungry people. We're really hungry people. What do we do with that hunger? Well, here's what we often do. Uh, we try to numb. We try to mask that hunger, both from ourselves and from other people. We turn to anything. We turn to everything. And we say, you will fill this hunger. We ask food and romance and work and entertainment. You name it, we do. Fill it. And God knows that. So this is what he does. It's what he often does. He leads us to a desolate place. He leads us to a deserted place, into the desert. Into a place where we feel our hunger. He leads us away from all that is familiar, all that we know, all that we can rely on, to a place of need to a place where we feel our need. And in that place, things surface. Nothing, nothing surfaces what's in our hearts quite like the desert. All that is good, all that is ugly comes to the surface. What 
do we do with that hunger? What do we do with it? Well, this. Don't do this. Don't try to feed your hunger with, will not, what, with that which will not feed you or satisfy that hunger. Uh, what are the places you tend to go to? Where do you graze? What do you turn to to numb that deep hunger? God says in Isaiah 55, verse 1, why do, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you try and satisfy yourselves with, with what won't satisfy you? So don't, don't, don't try and feed that hunger with things that can't possibly feed you or satisfy that hunger. And do this. Think differently about your hunger. Your hunger is not bad. Your hunger is good. God made you to hunger. He made you to hunger for food, but he also made you to hunger for himself. Hunger is a sign of health. It means you're doing well. Think differently about your hunger. Think differently about the desert. And then do this. Listen to your hunger. Your hunger is speaking. What is it saying? Are you angry? Do you feel angry? Why are you angry? Are you sad? Why are you sad? Are you desperate? Why are you desperate? What do you want? Follow that. Follow it all the way down. And then do this. Name your hunger. Name it. What exactly do you want? Be specific. Don't waste a perfectly good hunger pain. What do you want? Name it. Don't go looking for what won't satisfy you. Think differently about your hunger. Listen to your hunger. Name your hunger. We are hungry people. We're really hungry people. No matter who you are, this I know about you. I know it about myself. We're hungry. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. If God made us with the capacity for hunger, he wants to feed you. He wants to feed you. And that's the second thing we're going to look at this morning. Not only are we really hungry people, but only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy. So the disciples are looking at a huge crowd. And as far as they can figure, the only way to fix the problem is to send the people away into a nearby town to get some food. But Jesus has absolutely no intention of sending anybody away. And he says to the disciples, you, you, you give them something to eat. Which raises a few questions for the disciples. Because they do some quick math and they say 200 denarii would not feed a crowd this large. Now, a denarius was the wage for a daily laborer in that day or a soldier. And so even with 200 denarii, it wouldn't be enough to feed a crowd this large. And, and Jesus actually has no intention of sending these people away or the disciples to get some food. He didn't say, you go buy them something to eat. He said, you give them something to eat. And so he sends them into the crowd to see what's there, to see what kind of food is around, which they do. And when they return, they return with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're not large, white, fluffy loaves. They're more like, like uh, biscuits. 
and the fish probably sardines. It was a boy's lunch. And Jesus tells his disciples to have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Why? (laughs) It's probably not apparent to you. It's not apparent to us. But the crowd would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. They would have known exactly what Jesus was doing. Because years beforehand, God led his people out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. And before they got into the promised land, God had Moses number his people and number them for a purpose. There's a book in the Bible called Numbers. And the people know what Jesus is doing. Here is the greater Moses. Here is the greater Moses who is reconstituting the people of God and preparing them for mission. For mission. Now, I know what some of you are saying this morning as we we go through this. Um, This this is a, a, a weird story so far, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Because... When Jesus has them seated, when Jesus has them seated, he takes the bread, he takes the fish, and he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he, he prays, and he blesses them, and then he breaks the bread, and he, he distributes the bread through his disciples. And everybody, everybody eats. Nobody is empty. They eat as much as they want, and miraculously, there are exactly 12 baskets full left over, one for each of the disciples. Now, I bet I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking to yourselves right now, what have I just spent the past few minutes of my life listening to? (laughs) This is a crazy story. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. There's no way this happened. Somebody made up this story. Just work with me on this for a second, because if you're going to make up a story like this, you you do not want to make one up that includes thousands and thousands of people. Just just make one up with five, not 5,000 plus, because such a story would be so easy to verify if it were not true and to discount. So I want you just to try and keep an open mind with me this morning. And, and let's, let's, let's ask ourselves this question. Why did he do it? Why, why did Jesus miraculously create food enough for everybody that day, for the multitudes? Why did he do it? Why didn't he just send them away? Why, why the miracle, in other words? And it's this. Because he's compassionate He's compassionate. He sees the hungry people and he wants to feed them. That's there. But but that isn't the ultimate reason why he does it. He does it because he is the bread of life. The bread of life that came into this world. The bread of life that feeds this world so that whoever eats of this bread, believes in Christ, will never die but have everlasting life. You say, how, how do I get this bread? How do I get this bread? Well, first, it has to be broken. Just like in our story. Just like when Christ, before he fed the masses, 
broke the bread. Why? Because he was showing what has to be done for you to eat. Is this. Christ had to be broken. The one who was whole, who came into this world perfect, blameless, was broken. Broken for you. Broken on a cross. Broken because of your sins. Broken so that you will not be broken under God's judgment, but made alive and given eternal life, real life. He did that for you. Maybe this morning you're not yet a Christian. Maybe this morning you have not yet believed in Christ, eaten this bread of life. I want to help you to eat this morning. How do you eat? You come to Christ and you say to him, I have been trying to fill my deep hunger with everything in this world but you. And I confess that to you, and I am turning to you, and I'm receiving you into my life as the bread of life so that I might live and live forever with you. And if you come to Christ like that, he will receive you, and you will have everlasting life. Some of you this morning know, many of you who are listening, who are watching, know that today. You know that to be your story. You know what it is to eat the bread of life. But the question I want to ask you, and I want to get practical with you, is this. We live in a world that is filled with hungry people. How are these people going to be fed? How? And this is the answer. You feed them. You give them something to eat. You know, Jesus could feed people by himself without you if he wanted to, but in his wisdom, he has chosen to use you to carry and to convey his, his great love for the world. You, you give them something to eat. How? Pray. Pray. Pray that people would be fed with the bread of life, with Christ himself. And, and don't for a second underestimate the power of prayer. In 1988, my brother Andrew was attending Ontario Bible College just up the road. And during his time there, he had the school praying that I would come to taste, to eat the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself because I wasn't eating. And I don't know how he did it, but they sort of praying for me. And the next year, in 1989, I showed up at Ontario Bible College, not only as a brand new student, but as a brand new Christian. You, you, you can't underestimate the power of prayer to help people to eat this bread, the very bread of life. There are people around you, all around you, People you know, friends and coworkers in your small groups, everyone's hungry, and you have an opportunity to pray that they would feed on Christ. Pray and share Christ. Share the bread of life. Share it with people so that they might know this bread. Experience it. You can even do it poorly. 
I talked with a friend of mine just a month ago. We were painting Tabitha House together with a team. And he told me a story about a time years and years ago when he was trying to tell someone about Jesus Christ and he felt like he botched it. He felt like he just fumbled the ball and it was a point of shame for many, many years. His friend and he, they somehow disconnected. But years later, somehow his friend found him and said to him, do you know that that conversation changed my life? Listen, God can take these five loaves and two fish and he can multiply our feeble attempts. It's amazing what God can do, how he works through people who are willing, who have a heart to say, I want to tell you about the bread of life. Share the bread and then go bake a cake. Uh, now, I, I don't mean uh, like an actual bread or, or cake, but I, you know, I'm talking philosophically or metaphorically rather, but, but if you want to, sure, go bake a cake, but I need to explain what I mean here. This is what I mean. Think of the ways, think of the opportunities that you have to carry, to embody in practical ways the, 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 the bread of life himself. You, you cannot underestimate the power of, of loving people in concrete, sacrificial ways. When my father was just a, a young guy growing up in Dublin, um, his dad was always out at sea. He was a ship captain. He saw his dad only once a year for two weeks. And when his dad and he met, his dad was just like, here's a handshake. No hug, no kisses. It was a cold, austere relationship. In fact, in all of my dad's growing up years, he told me he never once got a birthday cake. Well, years later, when he uh, set sail from Dublin in the Americana through New York Harbor up to Toronto, he met my, my mom just down the road here at a church. They started dating. And one day, it was his birthday. He was at my mom's uh, parents' house. And my grandma put before him a birthday cake. And my dad told me he just sat there staring at this thing, this sorry, misshapen cake, just covered with globs of icing, And then he began to cry, and he wept. And in that moment, he had a very profound sense that Christ was there saying to him, I understand, and I love you. You can't underestimate or overestimate the power of of these little gifts, these gestures, and how huge they can be, and what Christ can do with them to convey his life to those who need it. We're hungry. We are hungry people. But please understand this. Christ wants to feed the world. But he's not going to do it alone. And this is the wild and amazing and crazy thing. He chooses to work through people like you, like you. And he says to a person just like you this morning, you, you give them something to eat. Pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we this morning thank you for Christ, the bread of life.
who came into this world to give us never-ending life, life to the full. May we, Father, may we, as a church in the city for the city, hold hands with you, partner with you, be on mission with you to feed a hungry world. O bread of life, feed our city. Feed, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.